Before we begin, Tiara and I would like to acknowledge that we are currently in the land of the Darg and Gurungat people. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While as South Asians we do demand visibility, this can't be done in good faith without acknowledging the injustices that First Nations people face. Hello, so editing Barsha here. I just wanted to say that instead of saying gaslit, I said gaslighted so many times in this episode and I'm so sorry I obviously just don't know how to speak um but yeah ignore that because it just annoyed the shit out of me when I was editing this so yeah apologies let's get back into it hello everyone welcome or welcome back to this episode of not to be controversial and today I'm joined by your lovely lovely bubbly co-host Bubbly. Did you just say bubbly? I said bubbly. Okay, bubbly. Um, Barsha. Yeah. And today we are going to be talking about Barsha. What are we going to be talking about? Like, do you do you understand what we're going to talk about today? Is that something I need to explain to you? I mean, I hope I can. We're doing gaslighting. Are you sure? But are you sure you understand? <laughs> are you gonna mansplain this to me or gaslight me? No, what's I'm happening? trying to gaslight you right now. I'm like, what is she trying um, to do? Is this a script? Did I miss the memo? <laughs> Sorry. No, we actually we're going to be talking about lighting gas. Lighting gas. Okay. Yeah. One of the three G's. Gatekeep, girl yeah, boss, and, and I remember when I first heard that term, I was like, yeah, girl boss, do whatever you want, get money. And then I read, I actually had to Google what gaslighting was because I didn't know what it was. Um, but yeah. yeah, the more you learn about it and when it actually happens to you, you're like, oh, this is something that happened or may, may or may not happen to people quite often that you just don't. Like, no one really tells you what gaslighting is as you grow up. You know what I mean? I feel like the way that I've learned about gaslighting is very much just what people have said or, like, you know, what an urban dictionary definition is. I don't think I actually know what. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, so, like, I remember I had to Google what I meant and from dictionary.com or whatever else, the just literally the, the small window with a paragraph that pops up whenever you google a definition it was to manipulate someone by psychological means into doubting their own sanity now vasha have you had this happen to you yeah no of course like i've been gaslighted before and tiara apparently just tried to gaslight me and although i didn't <laughs> i don't know what you were doing there no i didn't i don't know what you no i didn't gaslight you i didn't gaslight you i was just explaining something to you, you didn't get it you're just really bad at <laughs> I'm really bad. I don't know what I'm trying to do. You're bad at gaslighting. <laughs> I'm really bad at gaslighting because I can't do okay, it. Okay, well, I think that's good. I don't, have the, um, I don't have the capacity to okay, gaslight. Okay, cool. You're going to gaslight you soon. Okay, I don't know. Um, But, yeah, no, I'm, I've definitely been gaslighted before. I feel like everyone has to an extent, but definitely not on a level that you know, is, is anything significant, I would say. Like, my experience hasn't been something that... It, like, I haven't had a lot of gaslighting. Or maybe I have. Now I'm questioning everything. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I have been gaslighted before. Short answer. Yeah. Yeah, you have. 
from <laughs> from what I've heard, you have been gaslit before, babes. Um, and certainly from, you know, the experiences that I've shared with you, vice versa. I think I can say that very confidently that we've both been gaslit. Mm-mm. And I didn't know that there were different types of gaslighting. So did you know that government gaslighting <coughs> Scott Morrison was a thing? <laughs> not only does the man have like a really loose relationship with the truth but i think he's also a good gaslighter so government gaslighting for example is any attempt by the government or you know a government official or politician or anything of the sort to supplant little seeds of doubt in your ability to exist without sort of the government intervention or the government, a government hand in anything. So it's sort of like a systematic version of gaslighting. And it's so unnoticeable and such a normality that it often goes unnoticed. Um, and there's also other gaslighting, like, you know, the group gaslighting, like social gaslighting, and there's intimate partner gaslighting, media gaslighting, medical gaslighting is a big thing, which we talk about a bit further on, but doctors can gaslight too. It doesn't matter if they have a degree and got like a 99.95 ATAR, you can still be a shit person and be a doctor. And I have been gaslit by doctors before, especially when it comes to things like mental health. Oh my God. Surprisingly, and eating disorders. <laughs> um, trigger warning for that. You're but yeah, fine. I, you don't have anything. You just deal with it. Everyone feels sad sometimes. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Clinically Everyone sad. gets a headache. <laughs> Clinically um, sad here, but okay. Fine. That's it's actually really um yeah, there's there's so much there's so much political gaslighting, parental gaslighting, professional gaslighting, right have you ever been racially gaslit before? <laughs> what does that mean? So like racial gaslighting is when people target a specific race with their manipulation tactics. Or it's like I think I'm not sure racial and religious gaslighting are the same thing, but like religious gaslighting from what I read um, is like when someone like from your church, for example, or a religious leader will sort of impede on your sense of reality or outside your religion, use manipulative tactics to create uncertainty in your own religious beliefs. And it can believe and this sort of religious gaslighting can affect anyone from any belief system. So it can, it can literally, it can be done. It doesn't need to be even like done by your pastor or by like anyone significant in the church or within your respective group. It can literally be done by like, I don't know. Yeah, the religious part implies that it has to be someone like a religious leader, especially if they make you feel bad mm-hmm. for how you practice religion. But I read something about that. And as someone that is, you know, quite, re- or is quite religious now, I feel like that, is a thing not even that happens that even comes from other people but also comes from yourself in a way Mm-mm. yeah I mean I don't I don't think I've experienced religious gaslighting as much or like maybe when I was younger um but not from what I can remember because like I'm not very religious like I would say more spiritual not to be that person but that's just kind of mm. how I guess I I perceive things so yeah I don't think I've had that experience but yeah, we, we get into a lot of that in this episode. and So now that Vasha and I have sort of had our own little tangents and our own reflections on sort of the act of gaslighting, I want to now refer to what we do every fortnight, which is asking you guys the questions. And this week's question was, if you have ever been gaslit, how did you feel about it and what was said to you? 
Now, this one was really like we got a lot of responses mm. for this for these questions, which means a lot of you must have been gaslit and baby girl, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because I don't know who has any type of business, you know, being this way. So basically when we were kind of reading the responses, one that really not yet resonated with me, but something that I'd heard of a heard of a lot is people said that like their friend group or people that they knew um, would gaslight them when you someone would go to them and say, oh, I didn't like how they were treating me or I didn't like how you did this. I didn't like how you spoke to me or didn't speak to me. And that, that would, the very common sentiment would be like, we're not the problem, you are. Or another one being, oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. And yeah, those are two responses that they were really common from the very first question that we asked. Yeah, and also just things among like, obviously trigger warning here for abuse but a lot of those sorts of relationships um and people also saying that because of being gaslit you know they were questioning their identity so I guess like that whole idea of just you feel like you're going you you feel like you just don't know who you are anymore you're kind of questioning everything about yourself so you know a lot of responses were along that line um and we also put some polls up so one of them was, have you ever been gaslit before? And 79% of you said, absolutely, I have. And then 20% said, I'm not sure. Which is really interesting, I think, because I feel like I would probably vote for I'm not sure in a lot of circumstances because I think it's hard to say whether you have been gaslit when I think my own definition of gaslighting has just come from like social media rather than actually knowing what it is, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one. There was a separate question where Basha and I asked you, is the silent treatment considered a form of gaslighting? Mm. And Vasha and I actually, like, without the context of the podcast, just talked about this in general. And we were like, this has happened to us, like, a few times in our life. Like, is it actually gaslighting or is it just, like, a really, really, like, socially manipulative technique? Well, what do you think, Tiara? What do I think? Yeah. I think that I personally, and here's the thing, people can disagree with me all they want, but I think that this, I think that the silent treatment is one of the few methods of emotional abuse and not abuse, but emotional neglect in a way, because, and it is absolutely, in my opinion, a gaslighting technique because it denies communication and a chance to speak. So, um, once you, like, you can use your words, right? Like, you can, once, if you deny that sort of line of communication and a chance to speak, one might begin to doubt themselves and their words and their actions. And if you use the silent treatment and you can't use your words or face the situation, then how are you going to go through life? Because something as simple as the silent treatment says a lot about someone's ability to communicate, right? And like I said, I keep saying line of communication, line of communication, but it's true because when it comes to, for example, say you're in a relationship, you've had a fight, the worst thing you can do, like one of the worst things you can do in my opinion, is to just go silent because say you're having a problem in your relationship, it should never be you the problem your partner it should be 
you two or whether it be your friend or your sister or your brother or your auntie or your boyfriend it should be you two or the group versus the problem and that is not always applicable right like that's not always realistic but then when you use the silent treatment and there's no clarification to the other party that's trying to then mend the issue and fix the problem then I'm sorry you're the one creating the problem you know what I mean yeah I mean I think I'm just one of those people who probably does give the silent treatment sometimes in the sense that like I don't like I think why I would say that it's not is because it's hard for me to decipher what is the silent treatment versus just kind of not saying anything and trying to process things because I'm one of those people where when I'm angry I will say things that I don't mean and say things that I shouldn't say um and I would be able to articulate myself much more clearly if I had the time to just think um so I think that's the only reason that I would say sometimes the silent treatment isn't and yeah I don't know do you know what I mean but I think yeah you and I have fought before like honestly you think like two girls in their like early 20s have a podcast together and like don't argue we've barely argued we've disagreed on things definitely but if we've ever fought you've said to me or, or I've said to you like I think we need to take a breather or I feel this way or I think this or I just need a minute and I'll get back to you mm. yeah and I think when you don't do that then that's the problem and that's where the whole like silent treatment things come from but we were reading out your responses and someone said if it's communicating that you need space yes but passive aggressive spiral nah that there is a massive difference between the silent treatment and um needing space and that is how you talk to someone if they're not communicating and forcing the other person to blame themselves where it's not deserved then the silent treatment can be classified as gaslighting and these are just like a few of your responses I but think, Vasha yeah no i think it was a big binary of kind of yes it is and no it isn't and, and no it isn't yeah, yeah so like kind of i guess where tr and i stand on this like the opposite sides of things just in the way like in the way that the silent treatment is framed like if it's a way to process things and that's so different to not allowing the other person to share their story and like understand them those are obviously two different things so i think it's kind of yeah seeing where the other person is coming from and if it's more that they're just not letting you share your side of things so then i would consider that gaslighting to an extent yeah oh yeah there's like like i have a very strong stance on this because ever since i was younger i've been told to use my words and i don't know i personally don't think i personally don't think that it's hard for you to send a message or call and be like hello i need space but or like cuz if you can cuz vasha if like two friends can do it then like anyone can do it but also i do understand sort of in the heat of conflict not being able to respond adequately like definitely when i've been in fights with like my siblings or like my friends i've had to literally dial back or like even with your like your partner like if they say something and you're like oh wait nah they have a point I'm going to like just not talk because I know I'm wrong. 
Like, that's something that I do. That's something that I do all the time. Like, when I get, like, verbally dommed, I'm like, oh, shit, I should probably stop talking. Like, that's something that I understand why you whip out the silent treatment for. But then again, why can't you just communicate? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, like, 68% of you said that the silent treatment is a form of gaslighting. So only 32% of you said, no, it isn't. Um, But I just also know that I've been in situations before where, you know, I have gotten the are you okay message or, like, why aren't you responding? And I just, like, haven't wanted to because I think in situations where it has gotten to the point where I don't want to talk to a person, it's probably because of clinginess and, like, there's other underlying issues there as well. So I think it's just such a contextual thing. Um, I think, like, ghosting someone or doing any of that, like, I don't think those are the right ways to handle situations but I think if it's like a day of not talking to a person and you need that for yourself I think that's completely fine because I think setting boundaries and doing those things in the long term is so much more helpful but I think the way silent treatment is usually framed is the negative so yeah that probably would be gaslighting hey yeah or at least I think it is Mm. but like you were saying there's literally no script there's no manual on how to navigate Um, heated discourse or arguments but I think yeah that's like that is that itself could be a whole topic but just in reference to gaslighting and the silent treatment you could kind of see how it is and it isn't but yeah and a bit of like we had a majority on one vote and they said that it was and I found that very interesting too yeah but the funny thing is and I just saw this because I hadn't looked at it um but you put up a story to her that was like, is sorry you felt that way, a form of gaslighting? And 43% said no, it might just be a shit apology. And then 57% said yes, that is straight gaslighting. And I thought it would be a much more yes, this is gaslighting because I completely wholeheartedly think that sorry you felt that way is gaslighting. Um, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. When it comes to apologies, obviously, like everything, it depends on context. But when it comes to apologies, I think that sorry you felt that way, it's not just a really shit apology. If you're like five and you're in the middle of kindergarten conflict and you're forced to say sorry to each other, sorry you felt that way, yeah, that's fine. But if you're like, I don't know, 22 and you've had a disagreement with your mate and you need to acknowledge their feelings or you need to acknowledge something that happened in a group setting, sorry you felt that way is a very, like, condescending way to respond. Like, it, and it's and it, it structures the issue and um, invalidates the other person's feelings and it projects it all onto them as opposed to how did my actions affect you. Mm, mm, exactly. And, yeah, that's why I would never say that it's just a bad apology I think it is gaslighting um yeah yeah because at at the end of the day the English language is dumb but it also can be used in many ways depending on tone and deliverance and like how you say it and what you mean so I think that when someone says oh I'm sorry you felt that way it's very condescending and it is gaslighting because you're misleading the other person into thinking or like questioning whether the way they feel is invalid as as a result of your actions and your words. Mm-mm. Yeah, that's a big one. That was a big one, actually, that I totally forgot about. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and that I also was pretty surprised by as well. 
Yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's such a common... Like, I know I've definitely got that apology before, you know, if you yeah, want to same. call it an apology. Um, and it's always just like, oh, that, that, that didn't hit right. Like, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but what are you going to do? And I think it's like, that's the time you're like, hold on, like, we need to correct that language here because saying sorry, I felt that way is not not okay. Like, that's not on. You're not apologizing for how I feel. Mm, yeah, it's pretty shitty, isn't it? It sure is. All right, well, that's Tiara and I rambling on about gaslighting and just our perspectives on it, but we really wanted to make sure that we felt educated and that this episode actually had some value to it because, as we were saying, we don't even completely understand the full extent of what gaslighting means. So we had the absolute privilege to interview Rashida Dungarwala, who is a registered psychologist and the founder of Flow State Space in Sydney. So Rashida is currently working in private practice um, and feels super honored to work with the clients that she does. She has a lifelong love affair with wanting to understand people, the experiences and inner worlds, how it intertwines and leads to the way we behave. And it's led her to a path of living, studying, and working all over the world within the realm of psychology. Rashiva loves working with a variety of presentations, including identity, culture, creativity, grief, and trauma. She wanted to create a space in which complex mental health topics and information could be shared in a creative and easy way to digest. And this led her to founding Flow State Space. So Flow State Space offers workshops, webinars, and mental health well-being education content for organizations to ensure mental health remains a priority to audiences small and large in an engaging way. So we will link all of this information um, in the show notes. And yeah, we can't wait for you to listen to her. Thank you, Vasha. So hi, everyone. My name is Rashida Dungawala. I am a registered psychologist in Sydney, Australia. Um, I'm working in private practice at the moment. I just started out on my own. Um, My practice is called Flow State Space, um, and I'm practicing out of Surrey Hills, but also telehealth. Um, and also doing really amazing things like this, being guests on, being a guest on podcasts, doing some media related work. Um, and I also run workshops and webinars for different organizations about mental health topics. Really grateful to be here. Thank you so, so much for coming. Honestly, it means the world to us. And it means a lot to me, given like how much I've like, how, how I like wanted to because before I even did my um, chosen degree I was like I really want to do psychology and then when my sister did psychology for a bit before she transferred to law I remember um, she'd say like oh there weren't very many brown people there and I'd be like wow there weren't she was like there weren't many women there period but there weren't many like women of color there and I was like wow that's amazing so honestly props to you entering such a heavy profession emotionally and just it sounds like work load wise um so if you don't mind me your first question is what led you to pursue psychology and wanting to go on your current career path yeah for sure so I feel like I was very lucky that from a really young age I knew what I wanted to sort of do um career wise and maybe I didn't know that it was going to actually be like psychology but I knew I wanted to do something in the helping fields so I knew that I wanted to 
work with people. I knew it was like therapy at some capacity, but I didn't know that, you know, whether it was going to be psychology or social work or something like this. Um, And I was actually tossing up between um, journalism or psychology because I felt that journalism also, you know, you get to talk to people, meet people, hear about their lives and, you know, um, and sort of in some ways it's quite similar, but then obviously decided to do psychology. Um, and that's been the journey. It was about a 10 year journey, um, in studying, doing internships, doing, you know, exams, all this sort of stuff before I got my registration. Um, but now I've been practicing for about five years. Um, and worked in all different settings. But yeah, at the moment, private practice. That is amazing. It's amazing. Rashida was kind enough to join us in our conversation on gaslighting. From a psychological perspective or just from what you've learned over the years, how would you define gaslighting? The interesting thing is like the term gaslighting is actually something quite colloquial right so it's not you know a term like a term you would see in maybe like a diagnostic manual or some sort of um you know um resource like that but obviously it's something that we know now we refer to quite a lot um a lot of people know this word and feel like they know sort of have an idea of what it represents and what it means but I think maybe don't have a full understanding of what gaslighting can look like and what Um, it can actually be like to experience it. Um, So the actual, I guess, uh, um, description of what gaslighting is, it's a form of manipulation. Um, It's often happening in abusive relationships and it's a covert type of emotional abuse. So covert meaning it's done in a very secretive, hidden way, often without the person that's subject to the gaslighting knowing that they're being gaslit. Um, so the gaslighter or the abuser will sort of purposely mislead the victim, the person that's getting gaslit, um, creating a bit of a false narrative, making them question their reality, making them question themselves. Um, and it's not necessarily just a person that does this to another person. It can also be a group that makes someone question their sanity or their perception of the reality or their memories. Um, and so it often leaves the person that's being gaslit very confused, very anxious, very doubtful, um, and unable to, you know, even trust themselves um, when they're constantly getting gaslit. Um, it's actually the, the term gaslighting and gaslight has come from a movie from a 1944 movie called Gaslight. And that's actually how this term, term was coined. Um, And it was about this woman who was getting gaslit by her husband um, who just constantly, you know, basically drove her to insanity to question her entire reality. And that it was a play actually first and then it was turned into this movie. And that's how this term has become, you know, has come about. And obviously now, current day, it's extremely common that we hear this. I think social media and just awareness in general on just different mental health stuff and different um, terminologies, getting more and more awareness around it. So you're hearing gaslighting a lot, you're hearing the term a lot, but obviously you're hearing it a lot outside of like therapy settings and healthcare settings. Um, And the difficult, the danger with that also is that maybe sometimes it's not getting used in the, in the right way. Um, So it's maybe sometimes also um, people are referring to what they think is gaslighting but it's actually not gaslighting. Um, 
But yeah, that's a that's a sort of overview of what it is. Yeah, no, that was great. And I I find that a lot. And then like people are always saying that, you know, they've gaslit themselves or that um, you know, somebody else is gaslighting them. Mm. But how do you actually figure out if you are gaslighting yourself or if somebody else is gaslighting you versus maybe it's just another issue? Mm. Yeah, yeah, really good question. I think on that, you know, talking about how sometimes it's being uh, misused as a term is important to highlight because when a term starts to get um, misused or where mislabeling um, and experiences something like gaslighting when it's not, it actually causes like it contributes to the confusion about what gaslighting even is and then for those people that are actually living through the experience and the reality of being gaslit it maybe doesn't allow them to get the support that they need because in some cases they might assume that they're not actually facing gaslighting like they're not being gaslit because if they're constantly hearing that this is what gaslighting looks like and they feel like that's not their experience they might you know, be confused to to know that they need support for that or that they're actually in a very dangerous, toxic um, situation. Uh, oh, I've forgotten, I've forgotten your question because I, I just went on a bit of a... No, that was great. ...of my own path. Sorry, what did you ask again? Um, so I guess how do you know when you're gaslighting yourself? Like is that is that a thing? Are we capable of doing that or is it just yeah. another term? I wouldn't say that in a, you know, if if someone was to come to me and talk about um, them gaslighting themselves, that it would be that they were actually gaslighting themselves. Because with a gaslighting um, experience between two people, often the person that's getting gaslit is totally unaware that they're being gaslit. And that's what's so malicious and dangerous about it that they have become so confused by the gaslighting that they, you know, they're not there saying I'm actually being gaslit right now. And yes, now because there is so much more awareness on what gaslighting could look like, more and more people might start to say, oh, that's my experience. But traditionally, someone that is being gaslit is so um, worn down and confused and anxious by this gaslighting behaviour that they're not even able to sort of um, consciously determine that they are being gaslit Um, because ultimately like we're talking about, you know, really heavy manipulation um, and an abusive sort of dynamic that's going on. So for someone to say that, you know, they're gaslighting themselves, they may be more just referring to, you know, they're not allowing themselves to feel what it is they're feeling or they recognize that they may be like suppressing what it is that they're feeling or they're repressing what it is that they're feeling, they're distracting themselves or they're avoiding what it is they're feeling. And maybe they're sort of interchangeably using that experience as saying that they're gaslighting themselves um, because they might feel like it's somewhat similar that they're, you know, not really allowing themselves to experience their own reality. But there's a difference in like being consciously aware that you're not allowing yourself to feel some sort of emotion versus someone else not like putting like planting a seed of doubt in you experiencing emotion if that makes sense yeah that makes heaps of sense and I think it's really easy to especially if you're someone like me that has a bit of anxiety um it's really easy to sort of like dupe yourself into um 
into thinking things and then you catch on to those words like you'll like the like definition and the term gaslit that's been made so mainstream that you it's sometimes misinterpreted but uh you some you said something really interesting and uh, this is a question I had because a uh, big thing about gaslighting that in my personal experience is power dynamics and sort of when someone who is whether they're doing it intentionally or not whether it's malicious intent to begin with there is a power dynamic there when you deal with someone who you know you are gaslighting and it's very you you know you're doing it to them in particular or you know you can do it to them because they're just too like then either they you know they're not good with confrontation or they're just too nice or whatever um sorry that was a bit of ramble but I guess my question is is there like a different are there different types of gaslighting yeah no that's really important to to highlight that it usually is like a power play um going on and I mean most abusive relationships are so whatever the form of the abuse um there is one person that is more manipulative the abuser you know is quite manipulative and they are able to um recognize that the person that they're being abusive towards is maybe more vulnerable maybe more susceptible to to um being gaslit or being abused in whatever whatever way so there are different forms there's different tactics people also use when it comes to gaslighting um i think talking about the different uh tactics there's things like countering where um someone may sort of question your memory about something um so you know saying that are you sure about that those sort of questions um to really plant that um seed of doubt withholding so when someone is sort of pretending not to understand someone else um i don't know what you're talking about um you're confusing me in what you say um trivializing is a big one in gaslighting and so when you're sort of being a little bit condescending to someone and belittling or disrupt disregarding their feelings or their experiences um and then there's denial so you know i think that that might be um what we stereotypically think of when we think of gaslighting so someone just denying that they've actually done that thing or said that thing and making you question whether they actually said or did that thing um and that can really over time you know if that's accumulate you know if that's happening repeatedly it's going to accumulate to you feeling completely confused um and anxious about whether you've actually got it right or not if someone continues to deny diverting so diverting you know the attention onto something else um and saying maybe you know you got you got this idea off someone else and then um stereotyping so using negative stereotypes of someone um to further gaslight them so they might be some of the tactics and then in terms of this certain types of relationships that might cause um different forms of gaslighting to be present you've got intimate relationships like romantic relationships where gaslighting can be really common um and that's often how we would think you know when we with gaslighting becoming such a mainstream sort of um label and terminology we often think that it's mostly present in um romantic relationships and intimate relationships for sure but then you can also have gaslighting in parent child relationships you can have gaslighting happen in um 
medical gaslighting can be a thing. So when you are, you know, getting gaslit by medical professionals or any professional in any industry, really, that's a huge power dynamic. Um, getting gaslit, racial gaslighting. Um, I actually did an article on racial gaslighting and I've had obviously talking about, you know, being a woman of colour therapist, um, sadly have seen many clients who have come to me after, you know, seeing other therapists who have not understood or validated or reassured their experience. And so, you know, that could be an unintentional form of racial gaslighting, but it's still racial gaslighting nonetheless. Um, And then you've got also political gaslighting where someone, you know, in a political in a position of power in a political sense is gaslighting you know people that are following them um I think we might be able to think of some examples there and then institutional gaslighting where a whole business or organization is gaslighting you know the their staff and their teams so there's all these different intricacies when it comes to gaslighting more than just maybe what we're thinking of when we're thinking of like intimate partner gaslighting yeah it's a much more I don't want to call it a phenomena, but it actually is a much more nuanced phenomena than you'd like to think. Like it's more than just the term itself. Um, yeah. I have a question for you, which is just like personal, because um, I feel like when it comes to conflict, whether it's in an intimate relationship, whether it's between like, I don't know, you and your grandma or like you and your mate from school, like I think something that's really important is communication. And Mm. I don't know, I've always been told like by my parents that communicating is a really big thing um, with your friends, especially like with your your partner, with like anyone that you love. If you're in conflict or if you you disagree on something, it's really important to communicate. And I was pondering this the other day. And I personally, I, I, as of now, I think it is, but I also don't know. Is the silent treatment a form of gaslighting? Mm-mm. I think it depends on the sort of, again, like a very nuanced um, sort of experience around the silent treatment. I think the silent treatment in like if someone is stonewalling where basically they're just shutting down, they're withdrawing, they're putting the wall up and then they're not giving you any sort of indication of why and it goes on for, you know, extended periods of time is never okay. Um, That is extremely confusing and distressing for the person that's on the other end. I think talking on the communication piece, if someone is communicating before and after the period of time that they might withdraw for a little bit by maybe saying something like I'm flooded right now I'm going to be unable to engage in you know any sort of healthy communication right now therefore I'm choosing to take a step back take a step away revisit this conversation later so that they're still communicating what they're actually doing um, in that moment rather than just shutting up and going and not giving any sort of indication of why or how long they're going to be um, sort of removed from the conversation for that, you know, is a whole nother, is a, is a totally different experience to, I guess, that silent treatment. Um, but the silent treatment that I mentioned that was more like the stonewalling is 
definitely not okay because you know it can it's going to leave that person on the receiving end very confused very anxious and without any you know left in the dark really without any sort of idea of of what this is about and how long it's going to go for and it is very manipulative because often the person that might be stonewalling will be very aware that the person that they are being silent towards is not going to have a clue you know what's happening here and he's probably going to get quite distressed over it it's like a form of punishment yeah I guess my question is like especially I think in people of color families and just like dealing with South Asian stigma how do you actually address somebody who has gaslit you and how do you go about that like are there any steps that you would take to deal with it yeah so I would be doing things like keeping a journal of you know what you know should be true um keeping that dated and recorded somewhere so that you can refer to that if you start to feel that you know something is off or some you know someone is questioning or planting these seeds of doubt in your reality you have something tangible that you can refer back to to really reaffirm your reality I would be talking to people that you feel like are trusted, um, you know, outside of this relationship that may be relationships that have surpassed the relationship or the situation that you feel like you're getting gaslit in. So people that you know have been able to give you um, that reassurance and that sort of evidence of what really is going on. You know, if you have those people in your life, um, lean on them in those moments. Um, so yeah, I would think the record keeping is really important. The leaning on the people that, you know, you know, you feel like you can really trust, um, is important. Um, if you can, you know, seeking out therapy is always a good option. Um, and that can really provide like that objective perspective for someone to really be able to take a look in and say, you know, this is either not okay, or this is this. Um, and so you get that reassurance and, and affirmation in that way too. Yeah, and speaking of finding therapy, where can we find you and other people of colour therapists, psychologists, that sort of professional help? And I guess like affordability and just access to it is sometimes quite tricky. So mm. I guess like especially, you know, if you're a person in high school or somebody who's still dependent on your parents or like in uni trying to pay your rent, um, hundred percent I mean look it is truly um very difficult to have access a lot of the time to um therapists that of color and therapists that you feel like you know are going to actually understand and and be able to really get your experience um there are some really good social media accounts um there's South Asian therapists that actually has a directory worldwide for, um, but that's for South Asian specific therapists. Um, but there is also Reach Out, which I know has really good resources um, for people of colour therapists out there um, or just therapists in general. In terms of like how to access a psychologist in Australia, you can go to the GP, you can get a mental health care plan. Um, they will provide you that plan that allows you now 20 sessions in a calendar year with a rebate on it. The minimum amount you would get back on those um, each session for 20 sessions would be $88.25, but that can go up depending on who you're seeing. Um, and 
there is um, websites and search directories like Find a Psychologist and um, the AAPI, Australian Association of Psychologists Australia, um, that you can go on and search for. Um, if you know someone that's already in therapy, maybe seeing if their therapist has any suggestions, you know, they could put it out to their network and get some names of people that have capacity and that who are taking on new clients. So that's always a good option. You know, if you know of someone that's with a good therapist, they're probably going to have some good people in their network too. Um, but for sure, it is super difficult, sometimes not affordable and feasible for young people. Um, there are psychologists that bulk bill, meaning that there's no out-of-pocket cost to the client, um, but often they have got pretty big wait lists, but they are out there. Um, and so that's also an option. And that would be accessed through getting a mental health care plan as well through the GP. Mm, and thank you so much. I know that that's something that I used to struggle with and it's something that a lot of people struggle with. And I'm glad that there are resources out there. Yes, yeah. And you can find me at um, at flow.state.space on Instagram and I'm often posting stuff about, you know, maybe other therapists that have capacity if I don't or just resources in um, being able to find support even outside of like a one-on-one therapy relationship. I think my last question would just be like, how do you find being a therapist in a space that isn't really um... – like doesn't really have that much representation and how have you found that personally do you because I think there's like a large responsibility that a lot of us take on to you know be a trailblazer and like nobody else is doing it so I have to do it like how how do you feel about it talk about your emotions in that space I guess yeah I think that you know it's very different working in private practice versus working in other settings that I have so you know because I've been working in private practice for some time really, you know, you're quite isolated away. So, you know, I am not necessarily always exposed to what the industry is looking like as a whole. But obviously, when I worked in hospital settings, and when I've worked in other sort of settings, public settings, NGOs, this sort of thing, you really realise. And really, I mean, of course, I think this whole concept of being like a trailblazer in your industry, it it can be really important, but can also be really taxing because, you know, um, you shouldn't have to be the only person representing an entire community or um, group of people. And obviously, you know, any community of people is not a monolith either. So everyone's, you know, independent of each other in that community. Um, But I think it comes through like informing Uh, And just having really good peer supervision, really good discussions with other therapists and colleagues about, you know, how they can be more informed when it comes to the clients that they might be working with. And the same way, you know, I can always be continuing to, to do professional development and learn because even though I might understand some um, experiences of my clients, ultimately my clients are the experts in their experiences, right? I'm here to guide. And so I would never, Um, you know say to anyone that I'm the expert on their experience and so really it's just allowing and creating a space enough that they feel comfortable to be able to share that experience with me regardless of what cultural background they're from and I would hope that all therapists are doing that um, to make sure that their clients know that they are the experts in their experiences and we as therapists are just there to guide. 
That is amazing. Oh my gosh. And something that I wanted to note is, um, <laughs> of course, a lot of, at least in my pertaining to my previous experiences with professional, professional psychology, um, I feel like something that a lot of people in your profession or something that I've definitely seen in you just then, which is something that a lot of people in your profession should have but don't, which is empathy and understanding and open-mindedness. And that just makes me feel so happy and I just even like just having this conversation with you I just know (laughs) that you're just you're just amazing at your profession and that you genuinely care and that you actually are even with through flow state space even before with wherever you were working previously that you've like you've just subconsciously or even consciously just forged a path and you've said and you're saying, you know, I'm here, I care, and and that's the that's like the biggest thing, and that's something that I know a lot of people look for in a healthcare professional, in a psychologist, and you know, a lot of us couldn't even find that. So thank you so much for just being a trailblazer in your profession and having the empathy and the care. Like I really appreciate it, and I know a lot of people that follow you and flow state space will appreciate you and all the work you do so thank you so much thank you so much that really really means a lot that really means a lot very grateful to be here thank you um we'll wrap it up there we've taken enough of your time so yeah thank you again i'm sure everyone listening is also so grateful to just hear your insights um so yeah thank you so hope you enjoyed that episode yes we had the loveliest time talking to Rashida I admire her heaps honestly kudos to her because um, psychology mental health is not an easy profession she's helping many people and I really hope you guys learned a thing or two from this episode I know we did Um, thank you for listening and we will see you in a 